Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Tune the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. I've been, yeah, it's the Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. We meet Kev Dylan, Lee Cadman. And just before I introduce our very special guest, I just want to say we did have some massive news on Monday. We are now going to have our own show on Black Country Radio Extra. And that's going to be from the 10th of June, every Thursday, 7pm to 9pm, where we're taking our forum from the podcast over to radio. Some massive, massive news. Also, we were on ITV Central on Monday, a quick snippet, but the full bit comes out tomorrow on Wednesday between six and half six. So we're smashing it. We're everywhere. And tonight, our special guest, thank you for coming on, by the way, is Glenn, Glenn Barker. I've got it right there. <laughs> not Barker. <laughs> not Barker, not Barker. It's with a B, Glenn Barker. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about, he's a nurse, and tell us all about his job in a bit, but it's been on the front line. And being on the front line of the NHS over the last 12 months, we've already had Dr. Singh on, and what you guys are doing from nurses, doctors, cleaners, to the volunteers... The NHS is something remarkable and we can't afford yeah. to ever let it go. Absolutely. So, Glenn, first of all, what is your job role? So, um, I'm a nurse by background. Um, I'm currently working as a resuscitation officer. So, basically, we have we go to medical emergencies, cardiac arrest, that kind of thing. We also teach CPR. Um, during covid that kind of job role changed slightly, so the training stopped. So we were pulled back to the front line, and then it was going out to see the patients on the front line, the COVID patients. Um, but yeah, so nurse by background. But what is a resuscitation officer? Could you just explain what that is, please? So yeah, basically, there's there's two parts to it. So we um, go to medical emergencies. So if somebody has a cardiac arrest, somebody deteriorates, so. We, we do find it's easier to prevent a cardiac arrest than to treat one, definitely. Um, so it's all about trying to prevent that cardiac arrest. If it doesn't work, then they go into a cardiac arrest, and it's about doing that CPR, making sure it's done properly, that kind of thing, working with the doctors, the other nurses. Um, but then we also have to teach – somebody has to teach CPR to everybody, so – it's part of that job role. Because the other day, I mean, uh, we talked for the first time, I think it was yesterday, and you said, like, yeah. casualty and ER and all these programmes make it look so easy. Oh, yeah. I mean, if if we look at the rough statistics, CPR is only effective in about 14 to 20% of people. It's only about a one in five. And that's in a hospital environment with all of your, your drugs, all the medical staff, the machines we've got, literally maximum of about 20% roughly. Problems like Casualty, Holby City. I mean, as great TV as they are, but it I, is I don't TV. watch it, but it's yeah. TV. Yeah. They're looking at 80 to 90% survival rate for their cardiac arrest. So the problem is the general public will see that and think, oh, it's easy, a few compressions, everybody sits up. And it's nothing like that, unfortunately, in reality. I mean, it, doing something is better than nothing, isn't it? And especially if absolutely. you love one, no, you, you're on the chest, aren't you? And you'll do yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um so part of the job we have to do advanced life support so it means we can run that cardiac arrest theoretically we can take control of it um but yeah no the cpr as you say if you don't do cpr you've got no chance at all if we do cpr you've got a fighting chance i mean that's that's a hard job at the best of times isn't it because the percentages are as you just said are against you so even at the best of times you're kind of going into a situation not really going with the already the the, the odds are against you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But as you say, the thing is, you've got to you you've got to give that patient that fighting chance. So you know you're going into it. You, you do your best for the patient. If you don't do your best, why are you there? You don't become a nurse to go and have an easy day at work. Nursing is a hard job. So is is medicine, the CSWs, the care workers. 
anybody who works in healthcare, it's a it's a tough job, and you you give part of yourself to that job. It's not a job, is it? I mean, I, I... well, I mean, I was I was late into it. I didn't qualify until my early forties. Um, you need a certain amount of maturity to be able to do the job properly. Um, I needed time to grow up, basically. So, but I mean, I I love the job. I wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't do anything else apart from nursing now. Resource officer isn't isn't strictly kind of nursing at the moment, but when we're out seeing patients, it's still you still you're always a nurse. I think once you're a nurse, you're always a nurse. I think what you're saying as well, like when you're losing more than you win. I bet when you do get a win, it, it's a great feeling. You know, when you've brought yeah. someone back from the brink. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. It's the thing is about nursing. I think that what makes it so rewarding is when you see that patient get better and you see the improvement and you you get to get them out of the the hospital and they go home to their own their own family you can't get you don't see job satisfaction like i don't think like that anywhere else i bet it's never good whatever age but especially when they're a younger person or a child children's cpr is is not a, a good place to be um i've seen obviously i've I said off air, I can't talk of about course. specific cases because of confidentiality. But I've seen, I've been involved in only two, in seven years, two paediatric CPRs. And both of those died. And you kind of live with that. That stays with you for the rest of your life. Adults, you see a lot of adult patients. They're normally of a similar type. They're an elderly patient. And it's not that you forget them because they don't mean anything, but there's a lot of them. Whereas paediatric CPRs doesn't tend to happen. So when it happens, it's quite traumatic for everybody. And I imagine being on, a dad. Sorry, yeah, I've been on the other side of the fence of that. And my daughter's been in Russell's All Resource yeah, yeah. quite a number of occasions. Um, and you're right to come out of there to probably on your seat to see you've done your job. And they, that, they, that patient is walking out of there or as as my daughter was wheeling out of there yeah, in a wheelchair. So. It, um the satisfaction behind that must be absolutely oh immense. yeah as i say you, you can't beat that job satisfaction just to see that patient improve i think to some degree i think for a lot of people that's why it's covid has been so difficult this year because a lot of patients aren't making out of the hospital there's a lot of patients that are dying and that's what's difficult to take that you do your best and they're still dying in in quite large numbers and it, it kind of frustrates me when you go on, I mean, we, won't, we don't have to talk about this, but you go on Facebook and you see all the, the people saying, oh, it's all fake. There's no such thing as COVID. See what You see what we see over the last 12 months in that hospital. I'm sorry, but there's no doubt and it's real. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone needs to take, take word of that there, that this is someone who's, who's been there and, and done it over the last 12 months and it is serious. Mm. Well, when we had Dr. Singh on, and he, he was through the first lockdown and he, he said the exact same thing that you have. Anyone who doesn't believe it, if you've seen what I've seen yeah, yeah. and the devastation it can cause. And unfortunately, because a lot of us live in a bubble and it hasn't affected me, it hasn't affected my nan. So it must be a load of nonsense. Yes. But it's only real when you're in the thick of it, isn't it? And or, or when it's affected you personally, that's when it becomes real. Otherwise, it's just something in the distance that we're aware of. We have to stay away from it. But it's not affected me, apart from stopping me going to the pub. Yeah. See people complaining, oh, why can't I go to the pub? Stupid COVID. People are dying from this. And I think what happens is as well, we've had a thousand people today. We've had, and you just see numbers and yeah. the numbers mean nothing. And I think like if they'd have done, I'm just saying, faces of all the people, mm. then you go. Yeah, there was uh, actually, I saw a, there was a video on Twitter. I think it was, it came out, I think I saw it end of January. And basically it was, it was like a time-lapse video and it showed the UK. And every time there was a case of COVID or an outbreak, it showed a red dot on the map. Yeah. So as it was speeding through the, the days, you could see the red dots appearing and then you could see little outbreaks traveling. And every time a hundred people died, it pinged. Yeah. And then it, as it's going through the days, the pinging gets faster and faster and faster. And then the whole of the UK literally was red. And by January, it was literally just a white noise. 
you couldn't differentiate between the pings because so many people were dying from it in January. It was just horrendous. But, but Kev's right. I mean, I remember looking at the statistics and it was coming out and, and I did get to the point where I look, oh, we've had a good day. Only 200, 200 have died today. And you stop yourself and what? Yeah, you, it becomes ridiculous. You yeah. look at that and you think, how is that a good, good thing day. that only 200 yeah. people have it's died? It's crazy. Yeah. Your mind gets to that point. Oh, you know, we're nearly at the end now. Only 200. Yeah, yeah, and you do. You forget about those. That, that's that's someone's husband, granddad. Yeah, it's a person. person. It's a person yeah, with a life. Absolutely. Um, every two hundred out of every one of those two hundred, that one person was someone's child, dad, granddad, whatever mm-hmm. it was, and it's affected two hundred families. Yeah, and, and, and it, it ripples outwards, doesn't it? You get one person dying, and it ripples out because it affects the family. Did they catch COVID? I had COVID in November. Pass it on to my wife. I pass it on to my daughter. Thankfully, we got through it okay, but you can imagine how that would have affected me if something had happened to them. That would have been horrendous. How do you live with yourself after that? We were saying off here, when you caught him, because you're a professional and you know the devastation, we catastrophize everything, don't we? Oh, yeah, medical knowledge doesn't doesn't help you in that respect because you, as soon as you kind of, you know you've got it, your brain just goes to the worst possible outcome and it goes down a rabbit hole. And it's it's quite a bleak place for a couple of days, just thinking, what's what's actually going to happen to me? Am I going to be on admitted to critical care in two weeks on a ventilator? You just don't know, because literally it could be like that, and you just don't know. And I think that's with a professional. If we if we find a lump, we have a bump. We naturally go, oh, it's cancer. And I think with yeah. everything that's happened at the moment, because the media has done a fantastic job of scaring us, rightly so. Yeah. We've stuff, but, yeah. but we we carry that anxiety into social anxiety now we're allowed to touch are we allowed to touch and that anxiety carries over yeah absolutely and we, we we've got ourselves frightened yeah we should be frightened of the corona but it's trickled yeah. to everyday life yeah I, I want to see my mom but how about if i kill her and yeah. and and all the can i take my daughter to the park but how about if someone's touched it she's going to come back and it's that constant yeah. fear isn't it it is it is but i mean the vaccine is there for a reason. I don't know. Some people are like, I mean, you hear all the ridiculous statements. Oh, yeah, there's a there's nano chip. I remember when the first person was vaccinated and it was, oh, she was in the 90s. In Coventry. Well, they were in the Midlands. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the, the, so the meme went out, what's Bill Gates going to do with Gladys 93 <laughs> from Coventry or something? Yeah. You know, and you, yeah. you just think, people believe this nonsense. But yeah, I mean, theoretically, we'll get the vaccine. Will it become will it become like flu? Is it going to be something that just rolls around every so often and we'll get vaccinated once a year? We just don't know. You've got to wait and see how COVID mutates. There's been different strains of it already. We just don't know. But all you can do is get the vaccine and just use common sense. In in your opinion, I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. But <laughs> no like, pressure then. But like <laughs> I personally would like to write off 2021. I would like us to be able to go to a gym, to the pub, but international travel. Do I want 50,000 people at a football match? Do I want, no, in my personal opinion, mm. I would rather wait till January, February. Let's get this year, get the winter over with, and then so see where we like. Get to next January, February. Yeah. I mean, the government have got their own plans. They announced, is it, is it the Brit Awards tonight? And there's 4,000 people. Yeah, and you think. I mean. <sighs> The thing is, if you if you can test everybody before they go in, just because they test negative on a lateral flow, yeah. doesn't hundred percent guarantee they're yeah. not they haven't got COVID. It doesn't yeah. guarantee they haven't got it. So I don't there's know. A, there's it's, a bit of devil's advocate, isn't there? Because there ultimately, is. there's a lot of jobs that rely on yeah. people going on holiday and people going to to these events. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so it's very much devil. Do, do you? Do you put the things in place like the testing? It's never going to be 100% no. um, correct, but at least you can kind of get the ball rolling and get people working who are in that industry because ultimately yeah. they, haven't, they haven't done any work for 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're probably absolutely on their arse and, and the amount of people that lost businesses and whatever over, <laughs> over jobs, these, yeah, lost you know, careers, there's always the, kind of the other side to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always two sides to every coin, coin isn't that's that? right. And, and if you are from that industry, you're screaming at, as you say, 12 months. And like, if you're a... 
a performer, a DJ, or a, yeah. if you're selling trophies and you're printing out tournaments, and yeah, every, absolutely. And it's affected so many jobs, and my heart bleeds for these people. But me personally, because I've suffered having to close my gym down for nine years. I was about to say, how long was there? Was it pretty much a year? Nine only a year. We were allowed to open up for a couple of weeks and we closed. And we were let, again, yeah. So we've felt it our own. But I personally, in my boxing family out there, will be going, no, what you want about Kev? I personally would rather not have tournaments this year. I'd rather let us get the sparring because I'd hate for the tournaments to start. We get people and there and then we shut it down again. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was a little bit frustrating because if you think about when they opened the pubs and they said they can open from midnight Sunday, was it? Yeah. And they said the pubs are opening. And there was, I think it was in Leicester. And there was, there were photos of this pub that was opening at midnight and people were queuing to get into this pub to sit in the beer garden yeah. at midnight. Yeah. No masks, no social distancing. Freezing cold. Potentially, boom, there's, a, there's another potential outbreak. Yeah. And the problem is you can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. Because you've seen what's happened over the last 12 months. You think, well, we open up, yeah. we start relaxing the rules. Yeah. Does it mean we're just going to go? You just don't know. You've got to live your life. But as I say, you've got to have one eye on the future and just be sensible. The The problem is, I think, and we don't have to talk about politics. I mean, no. I'm not a fan of the Conservatives, but they're damned either way. Yeah. Regardless of how you vote in politics, that if they open up, Great, there's an outbreak. They're they're damned because they opened up. If yeah. they don't, and the problem is, any government would have had the same, same problem. Issue, whether it's yeah. Labour, Conservative, it doesn't matter. They're never going to win. Somebody will always complain about what they're doing. So, I think it comes down to the individual. How do I feel about this? Do yeah. I feel safe? Yeah. Am I happy to go out? Yeah. There's a friend of mine, um, <clears throat> my friend Paul. Yeah. Who he's basically isolated himself pretty much for twelve months. Yeah. I mean, literally on a boat in the middle of a river somewhere, away from everybody. Sounds great. Else. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But you just think that's that's yeah. to some people that's an extreme version. But that's what he wanted to do to keep himself safe. But then, as have other things suffered. Yeah. Well, I've seen it with this place being closed. How many people have fell apart because? It's not just a boxing gym, it's a family, it's a counsellor. It's a thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you, you come and you confess your sins and you train and... Yeah. You hit the bag, you feel better about it. I wish, if, if, if there was one answer, we'd all go, bloody hell, what didn't I think but about that? To be that? fair, in a way, that's what the general public want. They want somebody yeah. to say, it's okay, do this. Yeah. Most, the majority of the general public will go, okay, fine, I'm happy with that, and off they'll go. Yeah. The problem is there isn't a straight answer. There isn't a straight answer to this. There's so many factors to it, and there's so many bits that change all the time. You can't give a straight answer for this. Like so, you say, human beings are brilliant at adapting, but yeah. we're constantly not knowing what we're adapting to. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it's like, all right, then, oh, I can't see my mum. Now I can see my mum. Yeah. But hang on. If I couldn't last week, why can't this week? I'm not going to take the risk. <laughs> yeah. But mum's on her own, so I want to... Yeah. Constant, a lot with my daughter at school. Do I send her? I don't know if I feel safe. No. And then, then they shut it down. I think, thank God, because I didn't want to make that decision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. This is the problem, isn't it? I mean, there's just kind of. I mean, how do you feel? Because obviously, well, my situation was different when it came to the first lockdown. I pulled my daughter. Well, I pulled all my kids out of school because she's. If she was to catch it, it would be devastating for mm. her. It really would. She she suffers absolutely. with lung problems and, yeah. and kidney problems already so catching something like covid would potentially obviously we know more now and it doesn't tend to affect kids as much but, but we still but also we didn't know that no i didn't know I that mean, there's, the there's a friend of mine I didn't who... know that at the time so you kind of i was like right she's coming out of school it's just yeah. not worth the risk and the other two have got to come out because basically they're going to be you know yeah. if they get it they're going to definitely pass it to her yeah so no, I, absolutely. Like, right, I think i pulled two maybe three weeks um before and I'd still do the same now, knowing what I know now, because it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. Not yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's not. There's a, there was a friend of mine. Um, she's got quite severe asthma. And initially they were they were isolating people based on things like asthma and all the rest of it. And she was furloughed for, God, it was at least 12 weeks. And she was so frustrated because she's such a good nurse and she's a critical care nurse. And she just wanted to get in and start helping. And she could see what we were dealing with. 
and it frustrated her so much that she was being told she couldn't work because of it. Uh, and she's back now and she's had the jabs and all the rest of it. And she's she's on she's going back out to see patients like the rest of us. But it, it just affects so many people in so many different ways. And, and as you say, you just don't know what's going on for other people. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to judge people because you don't know what's going on in their life kind of thing. Well, going back to the, the Rona in hospital, I mean, what what was the morale like? As you said, you've gone from this where potentially you have more losses than wins, but when them losses are just stacking up, what was the overall morale like? I think that the, I, I can't speak for every nurse, but from what I saw, the general the general sort of feeling within the trust was it was it was tough and it was hard work and it was demoralizing but nurses are that kind of breed there's just something about us you kind of just keep pushing because you don't want to see the patient suffer so you keep pushing so even though you could see morale was sort of people were struggling people were up against it i mean i don't work in critical care that must have been hell on earth the critical care to just be wearing that PPE constantly all the time. I got to go and see the patients come away and take the PPE off. So I got a break from it. Those guys must have absolutely been hammered all the time. It must have been horrendous. And and the problem is, uh, my friend Paul was saying he was looking at the statistics. They estimate that frontline soldiers, their incidence of, of um, PTSD, I was going to mention that, yeah. It's around about 6%. Mm. Frontline soldiers, about 6% of them will develop PTSD. Soldiers who aren't frontline, apparently it's about 4%. So there's not much of a difference. I've estimated at the moment that the sort of numbers they're looking at for frontline medical staff, nurses and doctors, is around about 40 to 45%. And that'll be the people who speak out about it, won't it? They're the kind of registered people who've actually come forward. So the amount of doctors, nurses that are suffering in silence now yeah. You, you can't even you can't even imagine. No, no, no. We we all know the one thing that's hard to talk about is your mental health, which is which is why we do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I'm lucky in that respect because I do research training, so I get the staff coming in, CSWs, doctors, nurses. They come in and they do the training, and it's it's just kind of trying to broach the subject, trying to sort of mention COVID. So I always say. Hands up who had COVID in the last 12 months. And then I'll put my hand up and watch them and you'll see the hands slowly start to come up. How are you guys doing? How's it been? And it's it's kind of trying to get them just to open up slowly. I mean, we've got a we've got a service within the trust called the Speak Up, uh, Freedom to Speak Up. So if they've got a problem, they can go and talk to people. And we've got staff health and wellbeing as well. They're they're ex- they're taking on people who are suffering, who are struggling. You can put a referral in and all the rest of it just just trying to get people to open up and just talk about it because that was that was kind of my problem was that i didn't talk about it not even to my wife and she's kind of she's tolerated me for the last well she's tolerated me for 25 years of marriage now all right <laughs> <laughs> oh she so better be watching bless you <laughs> she, no she is i know she is bless her um and and she's kind of tolerated that kind of where i've gone back and i don't want to talk about things or i can't talk about it or wouldn't talk about it and then uh, as i was saying to you before the show it was literally uh back in sort of february in february beginning of march and there was just a a particularly bad shift and i i think thinking back i knew something was kind of creeping in i could see it coming I just didn't know what it was. Um, and then literally had a bad day. And, and to be fair, it was probably no worse than other days we've had. But for me, it was just the tipping point. Yeah. Went to one medical emergency, dealt with that. And then there was another one. And just this this particular one just stuck in my mind. And I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I got to the car, put the car, uh, turned the car on, music came on. And it was... Uh, a song by Oasis, Half the World Away. Um, and I literally broke down within, and I sat in the car and I, I literally just just cried and it was just ridiculous because I thought, 
What's the matter with me? And I could not stop. And I couldn't bring myself to turn the song off either. And there's that line in the song um, uh, about the warning sign. You can, uh, I can feel the warning signs uh, running around my head kind of thing or running around my mind. And I, I literally, I just couldn't stop. So I drove home, floods of tears kind of thing, got home, couldn't talk to uh, the wife and the, my daughters were waiting. But my son, I've got a son who lives in Nottingham. He's just finished university, so he wasn't there. My wife and my daughter's there, and they kind of, I think they took one look at me and thought, something's not right kind of thing. And I said, I've, I've just been crying in the car, but I couldn't talk about it. And I literally walked straight back upstairs, jumped in the shower, and because it's that, it was that whole COVID. So you kind of stripped all your clothes off, threw them in the wash, jumped in the shower, and got rid of it. So you didn't really have contact with your family until you'd got into that, that routine. And I literally, I just stood in the shower for about 20 minutes and just, just sobbed. And I think, and it wasn't the fact that it was the cases I'd saw that I'd seen that day. It, it was just, that was just the tip of the iceberg for me kind of thing. The cup was overflowing. Yeah, no more I mean, uh, people have called it a bucket, a, a water bucket, whatever you want to call it. You've got that emotional kind of reserve and it fills and you see things and it kind of fills a bit more and then it fills a bit more. And then you hit that point and it's gone and it's overflowing. Um, so I I spoke to my wife Rachel and I said, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do something about it. this is not right. I'm not right, so I need to spend well, if you ask her, she'll tell you I'm not right, but <laughs> um so I I looked at the the talking therapies for Dudley, there's the talking therapy service. Started to fill the form out, stopped, and it took me in total nearly 10 days i think before i finally finished it and yeah. and submitted it it was it was like at the time it felt like an admission of i don't know weakness or yeah. it's not but that's how you feel it's it? not yeah absolutely yeah. no talking about it is not weakness and feeling sad about it is not weakness but that's the man condition isn't it but that's the way we brought up with men that the whole phrase <laughs> man up yeah such a dreadful phrase because it's there's nothing manly about tolerating poor mental health until the point where all of a sudden you're jumping off a car park and yeah. you just think there's got to be a point before that where we stop as men and stop doing this to ourselves so and women as well i'm, I'm not just of saying course. men and women but obviously we're, we're more three brilliant. blokes yeah so eventually submitted the form and then they gave me an option i, I spoke to somebody on the phone they gave me an option of um there's an online app called Silver Cloud or some one-to-one -one sessions, but they kind of diagnosed initially, they, they kind of gave me a rough diagnosis, not an official diagnosis, but a rough kind of working theory of kind of depression, anxiety disorder. But they said the one-to-one -one sessions will only cover one or the other one. It wouldn't cover both. So I took the app, tried that for about two weeks and thought, I mean, it's a good app. It's not bad. And we know that mental health services in the UK are chronically underfunded and have been for many years. And now we're seeing the backlash fact, from it. In fact, I read a, a stat today on that, and it's 5% um, of the funding that goes into um, health services, only 5% is allocated for mental health. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's when you think about the amount of people suffering. Yeah, that's absolutely. And, uh, you know, and that, we only know about the people who talk. And that's one thing you've always got to remember with mental health. There's some people who, who haven't found the courage yet to talk about it and may never talk about it. And, that you know, so to only have five percent funding, it's, it's got to change. I actually you know? I actually um, was talking to somebody this morning about it and I was kind of talking around the subject. And he's a nurse with a lot of um, a lot of years experience. And he gave that, he gave kind of a typical man response. Well, we just had to crack on, didn't we? we back in my day. Back in my day, we had to just crack. And he says, yeah, he says, uh, oh, I haven't got time for that sort of thing. We just had to crack on with it. And I'm thinking, but that's what kills people because they don't talk about it. I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'll crack on. Uh, and then they're driving off a cliff kind of thing. We'll There's something stupid like that. How many poor souls, the last words they ever heard was man up. You'll get over a poison. Yeah. And that was the last thing they heard from their yeah. loved one, from someone who didn't 
want them to go and complete suicide, but it's just Didn't back in my day, you know, we were we made from got on with it, we, we were made from uh, tougher uh, stuff than uh, you. Uh, and yeah. the next thing you know, you don't see it, Aaron again. Yeah. And it, and but what because uh, we both interrupted, what after you uh, tried doing that, what have you decided to do with your mentor? No, no, sorry, you you're allowed to ask questions, bless you. So um so it was tried it for two weeks and thought it's a good app, it's not working for me. I, I just couldn't feel any improvement, kind of, so I just stopped engaging with it. Um, and then spoke to uh, another uh, another nurse I know at um, work, and she was saying about a therapist that she'd seen. So I said, well, what's, what's her name? Looked her up. Um, Jess, bless her. And I've started therapy, and I've started face-to-face therapy. Um, and I've had six sessions so far and it, it's kind of you, it, it is the iceberg analogy. You, you hit that tipping point. You think I can't take anymore, but you think it's this. And then when you scratch down, it's this. Yeah. And that's the point I was thinking it was this. Yeah. And as I've had the sessions and as I'm working with that, therapists generally tend to have this way about them. They, where they'll, they'll ask a question or they'll, they'll start a line of questioning or they'll ask you to tell them something or, You'll say, oh, I felt like this this week. Why did you feel that way? So then you start talking about it. And then she'll say, but why did you feel like that? So then you stop and you break off and you kind of dig into it. And she's making you break down those barriers. And it's amazing the things you you pick away at and think, actually, God, that goes back to when I was seven years old or that goes back to when I was 14 or 16 or just things happen. And you don't realise the effect it has on you and how much it builds. And you hold on to this stuff. And then all of a sudden you you hit that tipping point and you start digging. And you see all the things that are affecting you. And But I, I think I'm making progress. I mean, I feel better for it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it, you take it a week at a time. Can I can I just uh, go back to something? We have, we have, we have a saying uh, within the black country blokes and that is you've got to find your own medicine and that's a prime example of it there you you tried the app out didn't work as well as you'd like but you didn't stop there you went actually that's not worked where can yeah. i go from here and that's what finding your own medicine is about so keb might try that app and it might be perfect for him yeah absolutely um so always as if say, something's not working don't don't give up go to the next thing no 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 absolutely don't give up i mean as I said, it it wasn't a bad app, and as you say, it's going to work for some people. Just didn't work for me. I I needed a bit more. It was kind of it was trying to tackle the problems I thought I'd got, but I needed that that kind of push to dig a bit deeper, and it didn't come from the app. It was kind of tackling that iceberg, but not that bit. It, below. Yeah, it, it was it was doing the bit above water. It wasn't tackling what was below. So, but as I say. I mean, I, I I do running. I mean, I used to go to the gym, lock down the gym shut. I did start running about two years ago, so I was kind of running before that. But I was lucky in a way because, as you were saying, people come to the, the boxing gym. And that's their way of – that's their therapy in a way. He's kind of hitting the bag, doing a session. They're exhausted, but they, they've kind of – it's kind of helped them release that tension, that anger that they felt yeah. that day. So for me, that was running. Running kind of did that for me. Um, and I'm lucky in a way that I've I've got somebody I could run with. I think he, bless him, he has the most horrendous ideas about where we're going to run next. Uh, <laughs> I should stop saying yes whenever he often, whenever, whenever he picks something. But yeah, no, I mean we we picked a. He decided he wanted he wanted us to do a marathon. He'd never done a marathon. He wanted to run a marathon, so he booked one for May. And I said to him, I said just just pick a marathon, sign up for it, and I'll I'll go for it. And he um he picked the Brecon Beacons marathon. <laughs> we ran a penny fan twice. I mean, <laughs> as well as doing 26, 26 miles. Yeah. But that was cancelled, so we ended up, because we'd got the route on your, your smartwatch kind of thing that you have, um, and we just downloaded the route and just, just went and ran it, basically. I mean, and that's your therapy. Like some people, yeah, they it have... really helps just to go for a long run on a Sunday. You just you just have a chat and moan about things that have happened in the week and it chew the fat. Chew the fat, yeah, absolutely. It's a great phrase, but it works because you just talk you start that conversation and then all of a sudden you're talking about something else and then he'll shoot shoot back yeah. at me and I'm like, Oh hang on, but this 
and it just it's organic isn't it just it just rolls and you just go with it well that's what i was going to bring you back to rachel your wife yes because often we I, I love my wife more than god's green earth yeah but a lot of the time when when i'm in the fog she's the one person i don't want to really talk about too because I'm, I'm in a bad place have i done something is it what could and you thinking this is a lot when you said you come back having a belly full i bet your worries frantic because she just want, when you love someone that much you want to just make it better don't you? you want to suck it out and take it on yourself and when yes sometimes when you love someone that much and we've talked about this many a time and we your daughter and loved yeah. ones when you can't do nothing it's horrible yeah. for our partners isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and, and I if think, you were struggling you'd be the same yeah yeah and, and it must have it must have been frustrating for her because up until i started therapy i, I wouldn't talk about it or I'd kind of skim over, I'd, I'd kind of give her the basics, but yeah. I wouldn't really go into detail. Do you think she doesn't need to hear this? But actually she does. Yeah, she loves If she you. wants to help, yeah, yeah. she needs to hear what's going on. But we don't want to worry them, do no, we? Absolutely. You don't want to burden them. You think, yeah. well, she doesn't want to hear this. I'll 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 just tell her the basics. It was okay. How was your day? It was all right. It wasn't brilliant. You know, we had a couple of deaths. And you skim over the fact that you've seen two people die of COVID. And, and as I say, critical care have seen way more than that. I mean, they were seeing it on a horrendous basis. So, but, you, you know, you go back and you say, oh, it hasn't been too bad. It's all right. Are we going to watch TV? And you kind of, yeah. you kind of steer the questions away from it, not because you don't want to share it, because, and I'm, I'm not perfect. She'll tell you that. I'm not perfect. No, no, I'm not. But she wanted to help. And to be fair, she was the one telling me, 12 months ago that maybe you needed maybe you needed just a little bit of therapy you need to talk to somebody i wasn't having it at that point my bucket wasn't full i couldn't see it now I, I just now I, I don't need it and i'm fine i'm fine i'll be fine and as as the 12 months progresses and you can you can feel yourself and you kind of in nursing it's because a lot of it is task orientated you just kind of you just push yourself to the next job, the next lot of drugs that need to be given or the next this that needs to be given. But I guarantee you there's a lot of nurses in that hospital. I don't know. Some people have bad experiences or us all. Some have good. From my experience, it's a gen, and I'm not just saying this sounds like towing the party line kind of thing. I think it's a great hospital. I really oh, do. I'm sorry. 100%. I've never had a bad experience in it. No. And you were saying as well, you'd had good yeah, well, experiences with yours. We, we got, we've got open access to the children's ward. I can't even tell you the amount of times we've been up there over the last yeah, six years. It's absolutely, you know, you know, we it's loads and we've, there's never been a point of having a bad experience. But the thing is, no hospital is perfect. No, nothing is. Nothing is perfect. Apart from yourself. <laughs> well, don't mention it. He's fine, folks. He's fine. They're all going to be messaging him. Oh, yeah. Careful, we're worried about you. Send money. <laughs> oh, bless. Kev, don't do this. <laughs> bless. But yeah, no. So, as you say, you you don't want to burden your family with it. And I think, as well, a lot of people worrying about taking COVID home with them because you're exposed to it an awful lot and it does cross your mind that you think what if my hand washing hasn't been that good today or if what mm. I've missed something what if I give them a quick hug when I, and they'll be fine when if I give them a quick hug when I get home and then you've given them COVID or you just catch it yourself like I did and you pass it on to them and then as I say nothing nothing happens mm. I mean we were poorly but but something you said then, and I hear it so often from people, I didn't want to burden you. And yes. that, that, that fear of not wanting to burden you yeah, is yeah. a killer. And I say to him, if you've got that person who keeps picking up the phone or yeah. keeps messaging you, you keep doing it because I would much rather you bother me and my girls having a Sunday dinner yeah. than to hear about you completing suicide or having a break then. And if you've got that person, your wife, your brother, your old pal, if you've got that person, cling on to them because it's not a burden if you love someone. It's the, it's the phrase and it's the meme, isn't it? Um, I would rather listen to your problems than listen to your eulogy. Yeah, I love that, yeah. It's a great phrase because it's true. And the problem is people don't see it. They just assume it's it's that, that kind of toxic masculinity. Mm. Oh, I'll be fine, don't worry about me. 
and then it's too late and it's not and it's not okay it's often the people who will do absolutely anything for anybody yeah but they don't hold themselves in that same regard because yes oh my i'll be all right don't worry yeah but if like you're on a bridge glenn you'll drop anything for anyone we have to do that for ourselves yeah it's not being selfish no 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 but it's like on an airplane to say you've got to put your mask on before you put your child's on if you try to put your child's on then you both die sometimes yeah. we've got to give ourselves that bit of self-care just that yeah absolutely self-care is, is is such an important thing uh, genuinely um and obviously it's it's national mental health week yeah. it self-care is definitely important and a lot of people don't do that and i guarantee you there's a lot of people in the hospital frontline staff that are kind of are sucking it up on a daily basis they're taking it and they're taking it we need to be looking out for each other and as i say i, I try and have that conversation in training sometimes just to, just to gauge how people are because once you've done training a couple of times for the same person you get to know them and you get to know a lot of people in the trust they come back and you think they're quiet they're not normal someone someone's different they're not as sort of happy as they were last the last couple of times to seen them something's not right and it's and it's just about keeping an eye on each other but keeping an eye on yourself at the same time but we're doing this thing this week aren't we lee mental health doesn't care if and we're going to be releasing that video on we was going to put it on tonight but we'll do it on thursday mental health doesn't care if i'm a dad if i'm a woman if i'm a nurse if i'm six foot eight yeah, mental yeah. health is like a cancer Absolutely. you could never smoke never drink and drop dead with lung cancer because it's not fair no, it, it is what it is and i think the problem we have within this country we see being mentally poorly and physically poorly is two completely different things yeah. you know, one of the same yeah and mental health is quite insidious as well because it it kind of it's almost like death by a thousand cuts isn't it so it kind of you'll you'll feel a bit down so you'll i'll be fine so you push past it yeah. but you don't actually deal with what caused it and then you that becomes the new normal well i've got this i've got this baggage it'll be fine i'll, I'll keep pushing on and then you acclimatize to it and that's the normal but and then you add to it and you add to it and you add to it and before you realize you're a different person than you were 12 months ago in a way I'm not going to say cancer is easier because it's clearly not but, but if it's a, a lot if it's a physical lump you can see it it mm. can potentially be treated to some degree yeah mental health you can't see it until potentially it's too late i love what you saying like you keep putting I, I always use this analogy so i had that rucksack and everything went in my rucksack and i had to carry it and carry it did it why me down then when i saw a counselor i took the rucksack off it and i put it in the garden shed so yeah. all them experiences i knew where they were Yes, but I didn't have to. Get, I could still learn from it. I could open the shit and go bloody hell. I remember that, yeah. but I hadn't got to carry it with me, and that's what counselling, hitting the therapy, and NLP did for me. Yeah, because I just wasn't strong enough to carry the rucksack anymore. Well, when I did, when I went to my therapy, she did the initial assessment, and the first three sessions were online because of lockdown, and then since then we've done three face-to-face -face sessions. And she she kind of looked at me and she said, actually, I can't see the signs of depression that they were talking about. She said, but I can see the anxiety disorder. Yeah. Um, and also potentially a little bit of PTSD. Now, I know some people think PTSD is, some people don't think that we're kind of, what was the phrase someone use? We're, we're allowing people to be snowflakes. That I don't stuff like in that. Though, that's, so. doesn't, that's, that's not right, that phrase. And you hear that phrase and you have to walk away from people because these people are not going to change their minds. They're not going to see that there's a problem. It, it's fine. It's, it, they'll change their minds if it happens to them. And that's well, exactly. Or, or somebody that they, they, they yeah. know. Yeah, so absolutely. Maybe they haven't got the courage. And I say this, it takes courage to ask for help. Absolutely. It takes twice as much courage than is to accept the help. Yeah, yeah. No, and, definitely. And I know so many old school geezers and people like yeah that. and it's you know and he's never got over it and he, he'll drink himself to death he'll do whatever yeah. he uses yeah because and how many of us and I, I, this is what we started is how many people have to have eight points to talk and yes. then they go like okay if you're a bit oh, Glenn, I, I was pissed but really yeah. what you've had and to try and pretend it didn't happen you need yeah, eight yeah, points absolutely. or whatever your substance is whatever it is 
you do that to allow yourself to talk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's right. And as you say, people will, people sometimes need that little bit of an extra push to start opening up and to be able to actually talk about what's going on. But yeah, some people, unfortunately, some people aren't ready. I wasn't ready until I hit that point. If you just said to me six months ago, you're going to have therapy, I'd have probably laughed it off. Yeah. Ah, of course not. I don't need to talk about things. I'm fine. And then you hit that point and you think, actually, crap, I do need to talk. I really do need to talk about something. But in it for a lot, when you feel like your hamstrings are bad to go, you're going to have a massage, you're going to have a physio. And that's the same yeah. with mental. You have to wait for it to pop, for it to break, and then go, I need Oh, yeah, I need something to do crap. I need to talk about this. And it's the same when you're a physio, it fixes me back. And then I don't go to him again until next time it's hurt. Yeah. We need to be keeping an eye on it. Yeah, yeah. And no, be absolutely. aware of, I've got a niggle, niggle in my back or niggle in my head and going, before it gets too bad, I'm going to go and give yeah. myself a bit of self-care. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But as I say, that's why it's, that's that's sometimes the worst thing about mental health is you just climatise to it. So as you start to sort of slip a little bit, that becomes normal for you. So it's fine. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'll keep pushing on. Yeah. And, th and then you break, you hit that point and you break and it's too late, potentially. So I, I just think if, if you know somebody, quarter past, you've got 15 minutes. No, we've got as long as we need. need yeah, 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 yeah. We, we're <laughs> never in, I'm just checking on it. <laughs> Bless you. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, if, if you are frontline or if you live with somebody who is, just have that conversation with them. Potentially they'll go, I'm fine, Glenn's talking crap, I, I, no, there's nothing wrong, that's fine. But just watch them, because that's exactly what I said to my wife until I broke. I'm fine, it's fine, I don't want to talk about it, but I'm fine, it's it's nothing to worry about. And then it happened. With, sorry, within, with, within the NHS, I know um, like police officers, if they see something bad or go through a bad experience, they actually get offered counselling. Yes. Some, sometimes they're actually told you're having it you don't really have a choice you go in there yes is there something like that within the NHS that uh, you know what there is there's various mechanisms if we go to a cardiac arrest if it's unsuccessful and and a lot of the time as well if it is successful we have what we call a, like a hot debrief yeah. so basically that's just we did everything right does anyone think we could have done anything differently yeah, and it's just it's just checking people are okay. They give them a chance to talk about what they've seen. And then potentially you can go and do a cold debrief, but that's normally more about the actual case itself, and it's more a, a bit more in-depth. That people side of it is normally the hot debrief. Happens straight away. As I say, our staff health and well-being, they've offered that service. You can Your manager can put a referral in for you. Um, but it is... The NHS is one of those, we spend so much time looking after the patients, we don't look after ourselves. And nurses, I think, are probably the worst for that because they're with the patients all the time. So they make sure the patients are good. And you build a relationship and you with get, that Yeah, potentially with some patients you do. And yeah, yeah, and the, the family. Kids or and, the grandkids. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's, but yeah, so there's there are people you can talk to. It's just getting people to engage. I suppose there's also a worry that if you started doing that, um, there's a potential for more nurses to be off work. And I think at the higher above us are probably scared of offering that service quite as much because of that. Because if you are going to see a council and that council recommends you're off work, ultimately there's not enough... We know there's not enough nursing staff and not enough... Yeah. Putting that crying shame, putting I mean, money over people. I, I'm not I, sure if it's money or just not enough. And I'm in truth, I'm not part of it, Kev, so I'm just kind of guessing that that's... that's yeah, and the, the thing is, it's not... It's Sometimes you need somebody to have that that opposite view. But from my experience, and again, I'm, I'm not just saying this, from my experience, there's, uh, the senior management at Russell's Hall have actually been really good. They've offered the service. They've offered that potential people to go and refer themselves to staff health and well-being to have that to go and talk to people they've they've offered i think as much as they can yeah i haven't seen that sort of money over people potentially more the government does that well yeah. i said we weren't going to talk yeah. about politics <laughs> yeah orcs um <laughs> but yeah again that brings you back to 
chronic underfunding in in mental health services and the problem is we're massively understaffed where it comes to nurses as well anyway yeah so have we had any questions today Lee, uh, we've comments? had comments that have been putting up mate uh, no direct questions but if anyone does have a question they'd like to ask glenn just drop it in the comments and we'll ask away <laughs> but and as i say like because like I mean, is there like mental health? I did my mental health first aid course uh, just before the pandemic. Are those the kind of people? Because I always think like this: is what I want mental health first aiders to be in every boxing gym. Every yeah. If I'm there and my nose is by me, it's quite obvious I've got to go to but hospital. You need something. Yeah, or my absolutely. knuckles up my hand. But you could walk past ten people, and the last one goes, "Come here, Glenn. You ain't looking right." Yeah. So I think we need more mental health first aid. A mental health first aider. So mm. if if you get run over, it's not my job. To sew your head back on. I'm there trying my best yeah. to keep you alive until the professional gets there. Yeah, yeah. And that's the same with a mental health first aider. Yeah, yeah. All we can Absolutely. do is try our best to keep you with us until we can be signposted or Yeah. That um um one of my best friends at um work, she's done oh Gemma, bless her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gemma. Um uh so she's paid for herself to do the mental health first aid to be fair it hasn't come out of her own pocket so um there is some money put into a pot for nurses to develop their careers kind of thing and if they yeah. want to do courses and she's done the mental um that mental health first aid of course and it was it was quite a hard course for her but she's passed it and she's now a mental health first aider but i actually don't know if there are any other mental health first aiders in the trust, I, d I don't know. Because I can find out and let you know. But I believe, and it's going to take a while because mental health's been there forever. Oh yeah. But because of the big boom of COVID, yeah. If you never ever suffered, and maybe for it's like the cods walloping what they're on about, man up. Yeah. And you sat there and you're alone, and you're depressed, or you can't yeah. do, it, or you get anxious. If you haven't got problems, you've had a taste of it. Yeah. If you did have problems, it's from petrol and already nasty fire. Yeah, yeah. And I think because we're now in this digital age, like I, we could Skype each other and you go, how are you, Glenn? I'm still all right, Kev. But in the real world, yeah. you clock people more and you, you... Yes. We, as human beings, we're tribal animals. Yeah. And I, I once talked to uh, an old lady and she said this was worse than the Blitz. Because in the Blitz, we had a common enemy. And we were encouraged to check on our neighbours. Yeah. And this, you, were, you were allowed to sort of band together. your neighbours and you banded together. Now all of a sudden we've been split apart. And it's an invisible enemy. Yeah. If we had chicken pox, we could see it and we could blame But you yeah. don't know if you can take so. No. And this has got people so frightened and you can't nip around to Gladys next door and go, do you want yeah. this? Because you're frightened if you kill yeah. Gladys. Yeah. I mean, it was because you can't see it. I mean, like my parents, my, my dad's got, some health conditions and COVID would like a bit yeah. like your daughter, COVID would just rip straight through him. So uh, literally a week before the government announced the official lockdown kind of thing, you could see it come in. So I phoned them up and I said, you need to isolate yourself. Yeah. And it's been hard because I, I think to some degree, I think my mom takes it personally that I haven't seen a more potentially I could kill my dad yeah. by seeing him. Yeah. And I don't think she quite realises that kind of burden that we're under because we're working with COVID. Yeah, I mean, I've had COVID and I've had both jabs now, so it, it's unlikely. But you, you just think, and now they've had their jabs. So it's getting to the point now where we can see the more lockdowns ending. But that's been hot. That's been tough for 12 months, not being able to see family and friends and all the rest of it. And in a way that's made mental health worse, I think, because as you say, people are isolated. When and that you, old lady saying she when, that, when you love someone that much that you don't want to see them. Yes. And how crazy that sounds. It's bizarre, isn't it? And I, I think my mum struggled to see how hard it was for us kind of thing. I, I think she she appreciated I was working in the hospital working with COVID patients and she was worried about me obviously but I think over time you become it becomes the new norm that we're yeah. isolating and all the rest yeah. of it oh, I haven't seen Glenn I miss him yeah and then you kind of feel guilty that you haven't seen them mm. but 
I could kill you. Yeah. Seeing me could kill you. And it's and it's getting that across to people. That was that was quite tough for a lot of medical staff and for nurses. Yeah. That was tough because I could be a walking time bomb, literally. Yeah. I mean, I've I, I read in the news on quite a few occasions in in the first lockdown that a lot of doctors and nurses were basically putting a caravan on the on their front drive because they wouldn't go in the house. They were literally. Yeah, there was a chap who. Um, yeah, there was a chap who worked in uh, the A and E. He's one of the. I think he's an ex paramedic, but he. He's one of the advanced care practitioners or emergency care practitioners. He works in A&A and he basically put himself in a caravan. He didn't see his family and his, his wife and his kids for months and months. And that's some sacrifices. It, it? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, just to be able to do that. It, even that's, that's on, tough. There's people in the world who work away and, and don't see their family for months and months, but they're usually not living on their doorstep either. No. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, no, it's a total different experience. Um, to doing that work in a way and as you say that that blitz that in the blitz it it potentially was easy because as you say it was a common enemy you could see them there were people and you could band together and you could look after each other kind of yeah. thing now this has kind of separated us and it's pushed us apart when it first happened i thought maybe this is what the world needs because lee's over the road and lee um do you need any i've got some bread have you got any milk for jasmine my daughter yeah at, at the very start you saw if if you need your dog walking, if you need your shop, I think you saw two sides, Kev, because on the same note, the people were ransacking Tesco's for toilet roll. <laughs> but, you know, I'm and uh, just um, and rice yeah, and just, flour. Yeah. I really hoped it was going to bring out that good, but it only lasted for a bit. Yeah. And as you say, get out of my way. I, I need them five loaves of bread, even though it's just me and my cat. Mm. And it was, it was the selfishness. <laughs> and, I, and more it went on. You and there was there were there were photos where they're in um they were looking in people I mean it's a bit sounds a bit sad but they were looking in people's wheelie bins and the amount of food that they bought my mate's for on the bins and he told me that he goes the, it made you feel sick the, amount the same mouse yeah. it was five loads of bread and went it was every week and it, yeah. they were buying it out of spite yeah I'm more important I'm buying it yeah, yeah. and it's not yeah, like no, it, definitely it was cans of beans it was literally. It's good. The bread will go green in a couple of days anyway. And you'll throw it. But I, I, I need it. Yeah, I know. And it, and it, it did kind of. It was like in America, and they're they're driving pickups over to the the the, the local grocery store, and then they're literally buying every single toilet roll and loading, mm. and they've got thousands of toilet rolls. And it didn't even get upset upset stomach. No, <laughs> not really. And it was just the most bizarre situation. You're looking at these pickup trucks with all these toilet rolls, and what are you doing? very bizarre i mean there, there there is the good side of it though because i know uh, in my situation we had to well my daughter was on the um on the list to, to yeah, yeah absolutely and we had um great people like acorns um yeah hospice and they would bring us food parcels each week and uh, yeah and, and things like that and yeah. there's a few few places we're doing little things like that for us it's really quite tough as for you as well because of your daughter's illness you couldn't you couldn't just you had to be careful going out to the shops that you didn't catch it from somebody there and bring it back. So you, it kind of made you, I can imagine it made you a little bit paranoid about going out of the house. I or... mean, luckily, I don't really like shopping. So to me, it's, in truth, <laughs> yeah, I've said this on here here quite a few times. To me, it, I didn't have to work, so I stopped and I got time to spend with my daughter. And there's nothing that I wanted more, to yes. be honest. Yeah, yeah, years, absolutely. Nothing I wanted more. Yeah. So for me, I really enjoyed the lockdown. I enjoyed being around my family more. Yeah. I enjoyed all of it. Well, we didn't have to. Luckily, again, because he was on the shielding list, if he wanted groceries, we were, we were top of the list to get them delivered and things yeah. along that line. So it was, it was great. You know, I wonder <laughs> if there's a good story to come out of it. It's it's mine, you got to, to spend be more time with your yeah, daughter, yeah, which is nice. I mean, it's to be fair in a way, we need to hear those kinds of stories that there are positives as well as the negatives to come out of this. There are positives, and it has brought some people closer together and. And that's a good thing, I think. But yeah, it's just a it's been a bizarre twelve months. It really has for everybody, not just nurses. As you say, I mean, there's a mate of mine. He's been furloughed pretty much for twelve months, and it looks like before he gets back, the place where he works is going to shut down. So furloughed for twelve months, and then no job. And the thing is, I've said this many a time. Us blokes and our women as well. We identify our jobs when we're in a pub. When we meet someone, you're right, mate. What's your name? Kev Dillon, what do you do for a living? Yeah. And then when, when you take away our job, even from furlough, yeah. self-employed, and it's, well, who am I? 
yeah. I, I'm now a stay-at-home dad. And then we feel demasculated because we're not providing. We feel demasculated because I'm no longer a bricklayer. I'm no longer a... Yeah. So who am I? And then I think that's why a lot of men have got angry because I can't yeah. provide, but I'm still a man. I can still throw shots and I'll have a bit of road rage because I'm showing you, Bab, I'll look after us. I can't provide, yeah. but I'm I'm still the man. But isn't that part of that sort of toxic masculinity? Precisely. That, that whole kind of, actually, yeah. men and women are just as capable as each other yeah. of looking after each other. and. Yeah. But some men just can't ask for help, as you say. That it's yeah. it's built into them that that's what a man does. You're the man, and uh, I'll provide, and all the rest yeah. of it. Actually, in a modern world, it, it changes, doesn't it? I mean, until I started my nursing for many years, my wife was the the higher earner in the house, kind of thing. Until I actually found nursing, and then kind of caught up with her. She was earning way more than me, kind of thing. And does it really matter now? It does doesn't it? matter at it all, doesn't. but it does to some people. But it does to some. And this is why, once again, from all the topics we've talked about, to what is masculinity? What is a, yes. a man? And this is why we start to get these people talking, saying, we've got to knock this down. We've got to knock the stigma of mental yeah. health down. We've got to knock yeah, the yeah. stigma of masculinity. Absolutely. And hopefully, by these conversations, our babies... We'll grow up in a different world yeah. where it's not man up. Well, if he hits you, hit him back and don't get him talking. Yeah. Oh, you know, if we can set the groundwork now, yeah. hopefully when our children and mommies and daddies and whatever, yeah. it will be a different world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we've got to do our bit to get there. It, it definitely needs to change. That that idea of what a man is, it definitely needs to change. And I, I, I hear the jokes sometimes. Oh, male nurse, you're one of them, are you? One of them what? Do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't make me any, any less of a bloke just because I'm a male nurse. But you still get the joke. You'll get the old woman. You'll go and you'll go in and see the old lady. So she's poorly. You go in. You say, "All right, I'm glad." Oh, you're a nice looking young doctor. What? Because I'm a bloke. I'm a doctor. Yeah. Because it's that assumption. This older generation that is the women are the nurses. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you kind of understand in a sense because that was. That was that was what the they used, yeah. That's absolutely. It. But times change. Yeah. Times change. That that idea of mental health definitely needs to change. Mm. It really does. Without doubt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And your life might be different. We're not yeah. saying but different doesn't mean bad. No, you know, no, no. you learn to be. You learn to different isn't. You know, it's only sort of different for a while. Yeah. No, and absolutely. Just because you've got something, I lost my eyesight at three years old. I'm still a head coach. I'm still a daddy. I'm still this. I'm, my life won't be the same as yours too, but I've had a bloody good life, gang. And that's the same with mental illness. Yeah. You've got to learn how to find a way of dealing with it. And if you struggle, find something else. Keep knocking on doors to someone bloody answers. Yeah, and absolutely. Don't be frightened for the first thing you find doesn't work. Yeah. You've got to keep trying, you know, and reach out to people. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, don't be afraid to talk because, I mean, I've I've never contemplated suicide. But if I hadn't have had that that moment of of realization, theoretically, it could have pushed me. You just don't know what's around the corner, and the fact that I took that step potentially saved my life. And I think that's what people need to understand that talking can make a big difference. Just that one conversation, you sit there and you think, I've had a terrible day. I don't know if I can take this anymore. Pick up the phone and talk to somebody because I guarantee your mates would rather hear from you now than never again. So it's that. Just be prepared to, to open up, be open with people and yeah, take a chance, take a chance and talk to people. That's what you've got to, that's what you've got to sort of, that's important, being able to talk to people. And be, just because you hear it doesn't mean you've listened to it. So listen to your partner, listen mm. to your brother. Mm. Be an active listener. I think that's a great point to bring up um, the support group, actually, Kev. This is not active listening, is it? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's not active listening. Well, we, as always, we have our support group every Wednesday at here, the Lions ABC in Briley Hill. Do you want to read the post, Mr. Cadman? <laughs> Yeah, so it's Lions Boxing Club, Ball Street, Broly Hill, DY53RA. Um, and that's Wednesdays, 7 till 9. 
Now, because of COVID, we are restricted to 50 men who can attend um, and you do require to book in before. It's nothing too complicated. It's just to make sure you've got no symptoms. And you can do that via contacting us on blackcountryblokes at gmail.com. Lovely. And as we all know, or we should know, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. But isn't it a shame that we need a specific week, a specific day to bring this to light? So what I yeah. want to do, not just for this week, care. Because love and caring is the greatest gift that we can give anyone. So check up on an old pal. Even if you haven't talked to him in six months, whatever it is, drop him a bell because you never know who might need you. Absolutely. Well, Glenn, thank you, brother, for coming on. Anytime, now, I'm going to put you on the spot as I'd like to do. I'm a sneaky old git. Is, <laughs> have, you, have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? I'm not sure, actually. Um... Or sayings, or even that one you said about the eulogy, I thought that was a great one to end. Yeah, yeah, do you want to say it for us again? Yeah, so uh, a phrase you could listen, uh, you could use is if you know somebody who's suffering, I'd rather listen to you tell me how you are than listen to your eulogy. Well, guys, until we see each other next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Tarot, bit. See ya. Listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta-ra-ra-bit. Listen, listen, listen.